Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's up? <laughs> No. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. Hey, everyone. And welcome. Oh, right. Yeah. Historically Badass Broads, the podcast. We talk about awesome uh, ladies from history that yeah. you should have learned mm-hmm. about or should have learned more about. Um, mm-hmm. But now's and, your chance. Uh, now's your moment. This is it. <laughs> this is shine, baby. Yeah. Uh, I'm <laughs> Chloe. And I'm Maura. And, uh, yeah. And now you'll be able to tell who's speaking, maybe. And that was why we I feel like we sound sufficiently different. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder if we do. Everybody, comment down below. Let us know. (laughs) Do you know who do? Do we sound different? (laughs) That's actually a fascinating topic. Like, what you think people... Obviously, we know who's who. That's true. But we also don't post a lot of I would hope we do. That's, yeah. We don't. Interesting. We could, but yeah. we don't. No, nah. we're also you not in the same place in the world. Are also a model, so make it. <laughs> okay. I know we're also three thousand and something miles apart, so it checks out. Yeah. We could do like oh. sad edited together photos. Actually, maybe maybe we will. That'd just be really we funny. Said that. I think we. Should do it. <laughs> I think we should do it. Good, good call. Good call. Um, happy November. Happy November. Who's, um, uh, who's the lady? So I was lucky enough this past month in October mm. to accompany my parents to Italy, which was amazing and wonderful and obviously deeply inspiring. There are so many awesome Italian ladies on our list mm. of future women and many that I've never heard of that I'm excited to one day learn about and want to share with everyone. But this is one that I've known about for a long time, mm-hmm. very long time, and is one of my favorite painters. So we're going to talk about Artemisia Genaleschi. Oh, sick name. She is an extraordinary artist. Um, she's just like unbelievably talented, but also considering the fact that she was a mostly 17th century painter. Um, the way that she depicted women is obviously an entirely different experience than what we're used to seeing of art at that same time period. And she's very well known for painting. Um, there's a series of, I think it's four paintings that she did of Judith slaying Holofernes. Um, mm-hmm. However you say his name, that's how I always said it because I was scared I'd mispronounce it. So I just say it really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. That's how it's done. And yeah, yeah, yeah. From the apocryphal book of Judith, which if it were part of the Bible, I'd maybe like the religion a little bit more. Um, Probably not, but I'd be like, good story, you know, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what I feel about it. Um, Mm -hmm. She's very famous for her paintings 
but mostly mm-hmm. one version of it that's at the, um, I think it's at the Uffizi Palace. And I was lucky enough to go again. And as I was dragging my mom through the entirety of that museum, which is massive, it's where the Medici, it's their palace in Florence, and you get to walk around part of it. And it's just filled with a mind boggling amount of art. Like it's, it's absurd. My favorite Madonna mm. and Child is there by Fra Filippo Lippi. And I mean, uh, but there's, you know, La Primavera and mm-hmm. um, the birth of Venus, like every famous Renaissance painting is pretty much there, oh, but also yeah. Judith Slaying Holofernes. And it's interesting because I know from reading about co- this collection, uh, basically her art is that she was extremely famous in her own time, not least of which because she was a woman, but also because she was genuinely one of the most talented painters working professionally. Mm-hmm. But there was a gap of time where she kind of disappeared after her death and you know, into the 20th century when it was rediscovered that she was this like unbelievable artist, but also you're starting to see um, the women's movement come up and she's obviously depicting women who are pretty much every subject of her painting is is a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, amazing. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, she kind of like resurfaces as this proto-feminist icon, which is very anachronistic right? She mm-hmm. would not have identified with those terms. It's something that we are attributing to her from a modern perspective. Historiographically, it's incorrect. But right, right. that's how I first came to understand her and love her. And I just remember seeing that painting. I, I studied art history in high school. And then in college, when I was able to go for the first time to Italy, I just was standing in front of that painting. And I felt this just overwhelming sense of an expression of female rage and power and it's an extraordinary piece and it's extraordinary to see in person. Obviously it's wonderful to see in general, just because it's technically a stunning painting. Um, Like just Mm -hmm. again, the the talent that it took to do what that painting does. Um, But also as a, as like a woman, it's, it's a deeply powerful and kind of moving experience. And then, we get to learn a little bit more about her life and we can read further things into the motivation behind certain aspects of that painting. Now, again, whether or not that's us attributing things to her um, with our modern perspective is up for interpretation. I fall into a bit of a medium zone. I think Mm -hmm. as an artist, you cannot 100% compartmentalize your personal life from your artistic life, (laughs) especially the way that she painted. Um, and and the fact that like she it was kind of left up to her own devices what was what she could paint like people would pay her to paint something and she would just like give them something like it's not like they necessarily I mean they did but it's not like it was necessarily like we commissioned you to do this exact thing it was like this mm-hmm. is what she painted and you got it kind of thing which oh, can you imagine oh my god can you imagine <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> I'm fine so Chloe yes. I'm taking you to Rome. We're going back to Rome. Take me, please. I'm taking you to Rome. It's the 8th of July. It's 1593. And there's a painter named Orazio Gentileschi. And Mm -hmm. he is also, he's a Tuscan, he's from Tuscany. He's a, he's a very well-known in his own right painter and his wife Mm -hmm. Prudencia. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a baby and they name her Artemisia, which I love because it's a, it's a derivative of 
Who, Chloe? The Greek goddess of? Yes! (laughs) That's pretty easy. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. I was trying to get my parents to guess who I was doing, and I was like, her name is a derivative of a Greek goddess. And they're like, Athena? I'm like, no. Well, Athena's pretty... Athena's I know, but I, I but say. I also gave them like, I had already given them so many clues. I gave them so many clues. It was like we saw her paintings, and then they kept thinking I was talking about what was in the painting. They're like, "Oh, was it the lady whose body we saw?" I'm like, "No, it wasn't Catherine of Siena." Like, come on, guys. Anyway, everything's fine. <laughs> her name's Artemisia, and we will Whoa. refer to her as such because I like saying her first name a lot more than I like mispronouncing her second her last name. It's also a really beautiful first name. It's in it stunning Artemisia. It's just like no, a big fan, big fan, beautiful. Mm. So she, her parents. She's just a small child. Her dad is a painter. He's very much inspired by Caravaggio, um, and you really can see that in his artwork. Um, and unfortunately, in 1605, when she's just about what is that, ten um, or no, eleven. 12? Mm-hmm. Whatever. 12. Yep. Mm-hmm. Her mom passes away uh, in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And right. around that time, she starts painting and learning to paint in her dad's workshop. And very, very quickly, she's like the best one. I mean, very quickly. It's it's yeah, clear she that is. she is an unbelievably talented painter. Her dad um, is like she's amazing like she kills it like look at her (laughs) no one is as good as her yeah she is the moment she is the moment she is it um (laughs) and he he mentions many times that she is peerless she is this incredible talent Mm -hmm. um and like her dad she's very inspired by Caravaggio um but you start to see immediately that she's not painting this idealized version of the world of life of these scenario that you see in different paintings she's very much painting a realistic interpretation mm-hmm. and so we see around 1610 which would make her 17 yes 16 or 17 mm-hmm. guys guys i'm really bad at math okay I think that's right. Um, Notice how I did not volunteer to help. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, please confirm. Um, so I think she's around 16 at this point. Um, she paints one of her, her earliest surviving work that we have um, of Susanna and the elders. It, it was in 1610 and it's quite a famous painting. So I don't, do you know the biblical story of Susanna? No. Cool. So it's creepy. So a young, beautiful woman is uh with her maidservant in her garden. Uh, it's a walled garden. Uh, so she should feel comfortable and safe. And she's mm. naked taking a bath. Cause that's what she was doing in her garden. And these two old men, they're literally called the elders creep on her and they are mm. so gross and disgusting. Mm. And they're like, Ooh, look at you. And she's like, please get away from me. I'm in my own house. And then they're like, if you don't do things to us sexually, we're going to tell everyone that you're a slut. And wow. she doesn't follow through. And then only because their testimony against her turns out to be very inconsistent, is it ruled against them that they were lying. Wow. And <sighs> honestly, I'm even surprised that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Feels more so, common that they get away with it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So here's, by the way, they accused her of adultery, which would have meant that she would have died. 
would have would have been killed. Great. And uh there she her name is cleared and this what the the parable that we're supposed to take from this is that uh yeah virtue is everything and she's the perfect example of a, a virtuous perfect woman oh just because she uh, because she refused yeah Got it. even though it was upon pain of death basically a threat of death but she refused listen if we really wanted to go into what the bible's trying to teach us we'd be here for years and i'd uh, no, be I a know. lot angrier there are many a lot angrier on that <laughs> <sighs> okay, not the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we're gonna post this painting. It to me, it's a very. You know what, Chloe? I want to send it to you. Ooh! I want you to because I want to hear what you have to say about it. Be jealous, listeners. I get the first look. Though I guess you could have Googled it while you were listening, <laughs> <laughs> or we'll post it on our Instagram. <laughs> Did you get it? Oh, I silenced my notifications while oh, we recorded. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that actually... <laughs> and no, it makes complete sense. I, I think it's sense. respectful of me. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so I we mean, see... the painting is great. It, I just hate it, obviously. Yeah. So not, we see not, these two not men... Her, not her ability, just... The yeah. <laughs> so, but what's your... So... She's only 16 yeah. or 17 when painting this. That's wild. All right. Yeah. yeah. What's what? What is it? If I'm describing it, it is a woman mm-hmm. sitting slightly revealing. <laughs> slightly. Honestly, though, covered probably decently in terms of mm-hmm. like, she was probably trying to respectfully cover some of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like moving her head away from these two gross men leaning over a wall. Um. The talent level is off the charts for a 16-year-old. I mean, this looks mm-hmm. like a, a well-established painter in his, you know, 60s, famous in Italy, that would have painted this. Yeah, but he never would have painted her like that. There are a no. lot of And you can see of... the face, mm-hmm. the, the expression yeah. on her face is, like, so Fear and relatable. <laughs> yeah. Fear and disgust. Wild. Yeah. Um. What's interesting, though, is that in many depictions of this, Susanna is, like, out there just, like, laying out, like, flirting with them. Like, all these men take in this, like, idea. It becomes a really famous and popular scene for male art patrons to commission because it's, like, an Mm. excuse to have this, like, drawn-out nude and, you know, anyway. Becomes pornographic. 100%. But what I love is that she she shows how unwanted it was, which I think is, is really what was in the story to begin with. And also just how the realism isn't just the, the physical art, it's mm-hmm. the emotions, it's everything in there. I also, so, mm-hmm. I I like the, uh, the way that the men are depicted also is kind of like one of them is talking to the other one and like has his hand on his back and it's very much like the camaraderie of two men being creepy together there's something about that that i like too you know like makes your like there's there's not one of them being like hey man like you're being kind of weird we should get out of here yeah both of them yeah Yeah. it's like they're empowering each other to be worse (laughs) yeah weird huh (laughs) Love that. We've never heard of that happening, have we? Ah. Ah. 
So okay, beautiful. She is. I mean, immediately her father's like. Still, he's like. She's only been painting for like a couple of years, and look at her. She's better than literally all of you. Um, I agree. Yeah, I mean it's not wrong. So her father Orazio um, starts working with another painter named Agostino Tassi, and it's to um, decorate some uh, a palace's like. I don't know, Hall. Like they're they're working together to paint it because it was quite a big thing. Mm-hmm. And there's um there's some debate about whether or not Tossi was hired to also like help teach Artemisia, um, or was just like someone who stayed with the family. Mm-hmm. Um but in any event, um Artemisia was often over at a neighbor's house um because uh Tutsia is I guess her name. And um, or I guess it was not necessarily like a neighbor's house. It was like they rented out part of their home and there was a woman who was a tenant there. Her name was Tutsia. Mm-hmm. And she had a small child. And because Artemisia was like always surrounded by boys, she was the only girl. She had only brothers, her dad, all these male painters. Um, she and Tutsia became very close and um, she very much relied on Tutsia as like kind of a mother figure for a couple of years. And un- just forewarn we have a trigger warning coming up um mm-hmm. ar- around 1611 when she's 17 Tossie visits um their household and Tutsia ends up like leaving them alone and mm. um Tossie decides like oh let's go for a walk around the room and then he pushes her into a room with a bed and rapes her and it's pretty violent um there's a You'll, I'll be able. Uh, there ends up being a trial, which is deeply uncommon. Um, mm-hmm. She absolutely fights back. Not that that means anything, but she tries. But it, mm-hmm. you know, he basically she says placed his hand with a handkerchief over my throat and mouth so I couldn't cry out. Oh, and um, she cries out to Tutsia, who by all accounts kind of heard that something was going on but didn't do anything mm. and later afterward she says I scratched his face and pulled his hair before he penetrated me again I grasped his penis so tight that I even removed a piece of flesh wow. after he was done officially she grabs a knife close by and says she would kill him because he dishonored her and mm. he opens his jacket and he's like, hey, come at me, fine. And then she tries to stab him mm-hmm. and he like kind of parries away from her. She does end up kind of getting a little, she gets a nick in there, which is like, good for you. Um, mm-hmm. And then by all accounts, what ended up happening was he says to her, um, I want, I will marry you as soon as I get out of the labyrinth I am in. You you may ask me, Maura, what's the labyrinth he's in? Well, <laughs> seems like before he left to go see Orazio, he may have planned to murder his wife. Yeah, he was married. Um, and he engaged in adultery with his sister-in-law. Jesus. <laughs> Either Lock way. Lock this man away. Oh, don't get mad. Anyway, 
Of so, course he's not gay. Yeah. Okay. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, all right, all right. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. So, uh, what he, either whether or not he actually did plan to murder his wife or just didn't know where she was, which is mostly what he says. He says, "I don't know where she was." Mm. Um, and it like, how do you not know where your wife is? Anyway, um. She didn't run away by all accounts. He just like lost track of her, I guess. Anyway. So like a child at a mall. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Um, so she says that she wasn't there. I know in her account, um, mm. which we will get into how she's giving this testimony and under what stresses. Mm. She says, as soon as he promises to marry her, she felt calmer um, because it, what makes sense is, that? Yes, she, she says, I'll, I'll marry you. And so she... No, 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 no. She felt calmer or he yes, felt calmer? Yes, she says that I felt calmer. She says, with this good promise, I felt calmer. And later, um, mm. she ends up, because there's this promise of marriage, they end up having sex more multiple times. And it's more willingly, less, like, lovingly or whatever. Yeah. So she accepts the betrothal. Um this is what, so there's an amazing um, historian named Elizabeth Cohen. And she says, um, having accepted the betrothal created by the promise of marriage linked to coitus. So the abrupt rhetorical jump from vengeful rage to wifely docility rings oddly, especially where narrative time and space do not alter. Mm. The main theme of this story is not bruised emotion, but the defense of honor. In reputation's terms, Tossie's promises did transform the situation, and a single-minded quest for social respect demanded of the testimony, testimony's Artemisia, a parallel reorientation. Her readiness to marry her assailant was prompt and persistent, which ends up benefiting her. Mm-hmm. So they end up kind of, he, he's, she views them as going to get, they're going to get married. Um, and at the time, there were two, um, recourses for getting for being assaulted if you wanted to bring it into court one Mm -hmm. was because it was effectively what it was it was not so much about a breaching of your body uh, a violation of your body it was a violation of your family um and yeah yeah of your family's honor and women also thought of it that way they didn't have the vocabulary and the worldview that we currently do not to not that she wouldn't have physically felt all of the things that go through a woman's mind and body and a person's mind and body when they're assaulted like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I, I believe she would have viewed it very differently. And Elizabeth Cohen talks about this idea of corporeal essentialism, mm. which is something that's modern, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not something that she would have used to describe herself. And indeed, when she's talking in her testimony and in accounts about the um, assault, she speaks of it as a dishonor more than as a violation of her body. That's not to say that they're not mutually exclusive, but she says Artemisia spoke of her body during the trial. There's a trial, but as Mm -hmm. the material upon which a socially significant offense had been committed. Right. So I mean, couldn't it couldn't it ruin your future marriage prospects, yes, etc. Yes. So the so recourse was either they could get married or mm-hmm. 
he would pay the amount of her dowry so that she could get married by, because he had lessened her value effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she continued to think of him that way, even for a bit longer. So by all accounts, she tells uh, her father what happens. People know what happened to her, but it takes him nine months to press charges against Tassi because Tassi's dragging his feet. He's kind of reneging on his promise to marry her. And I, people have wondered like, why did he wait so long? My curiosity is why nine months? And I think it's because he waited to see if she was pregnant. And Mm. when she wasn't, I think he felt comfortable pursuing him in court. Um, Right. Is my little input. That makes sense. Why nine months? Like he waited a really weird amount of time. He also accuses him of stealing a painting and Mm -hmm. of like, doing a lot of other things. So basically him bringing about charges was less a defense of his daughter's honor and more of a defense of their family in general. He, he's not, you know, he brings it to the forefront, um, this struggle. And in the end, what he's really trying to do is get them to get married. And, that's something we cannot and do not understand. And I can't even imagine what she would have felt in that situation. But that was the, that was it. That was what would have restored her honor. Right. So he brings about a charge of stuprum, which is an old Latin term. And it, mm-hmm. it refers to a violation, but it more specifically contextually refers to forcible deflowering. Mm-hmm. So the key is that she was virginal. Right. So when he brings about this charge, he ends up saying because of her prior status before him, um, you know, she ends up, she's, uh, it, there's been a lot of betrayals and so on and so forth. He was this, um, you know, other, he was this kind of, I don't know, contemporary, and he ends up doing this, right? So, mm-hmm. and also maybe stealing from him and other things. Like, we hate this guy. We hate him anyway, but he hates them for probably different reasons. Right. So the court then goes about trying to prove the case, right? Like, so you thought you were mad. Get ready. Um, <laughs> because my my well of anger is deep and endless. <laughs> God, same. So because she wasn't virginal anymore, it didn't matter that it was because she wanted to be or not. Because of that, her testimony had no judicial weight whatsoever. It was seen an impure woman. Her word was worth literally nothing legally, legally. That was legal. That's a lot. The only, the only way to prove it was through ritualized pain, a.k.a. torture. If under the threat of torture, she maintains her story, it, it lends judicial weight, gives credence to her argument, and proves her case. Who's writing these laws? Hmm? Men. I don't like these laws. Men. Put away these laws. Good. They don't make sense. Change them. They, they don't make sense, I know. Oh. Oh, that's so they tortured her. 
Just thumb screws. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, uh, she gives an incredible testimony, part of which I read out loud that you guys heard. Um, I recommend reading all of it. It's mm. deeply powerful. Um, she maintains and conducts herself in court like someone who's much older than her and much wiser. I think losing your mom at a young age would give you that kind of weight and responsibility. Um, but also the strength of character that is clear, um, is something that I'm not, you know, that, that we can truly admire. She is being tortured. Um, she had to go undergo a public examination by a midwife to confirm that her hymen was broken because, you know, that's the only way apparently. Um, mm-hmm. and she, the court transcript we have in full, which is wild. Um, so cords were wrapped around her hands and tightened like thumb screws. She repeats, it's true, it's true, it's true. And then as she does, she looks at Tossie and says, this is the ring you gave me and these are your promises. Like in reference to what's being tied around her hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's epic. That's iconic. Um, so because the rape happened many months before, um, the midwife's exam can't really prove there's no fresh injury. Um, but okay. they, they take into account, they, she's of a social status enough that um, they absolutely, they're like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't buy it. And so of course, what does Tossie do? Tossie's immediate response is, well, everyone said she was a whore, so whatever. And he goes on and on and on about how she was deeply uh promiscuous and this low life and you know very little uh any yeah basically like it didn't matter um but thankfully because of the strength of her testimony and courage and also because of the tenuous nature of his own character and they had other people testify on her behalf and also on his behalf, but it ends up kind of defending her because of course. Um, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, the case is resolved in her favor. Um, he was sentenced, um, but he was very soon released and never really punished. Um, but his conviction exonerated her. It absolutely um, confirmed that she had been, chased prior to the assault and wasn't morally responsible for her loss of virginity, which is like the overall best goal she could have had, I guess. Right. So at this point, there are many stories about work that's being done. She's painting still, obviously throughout all of this. And Mm -hmm. this is around the time when she starts her Judith series. So I think it's improbable to assume that she isn't impacted by the trial, by her own, I'm texting you another picture to stare at, by Mm -hmm. her own, um, you know, ordeals. Um, This is the painting that I stood in front of in like, kind of cried a little bit and had a lot of goosebumps. Uh, yes, I'm familiar with this one. So, yeah, because I love it. I think I'm, 
Because we I'm wrote like, it into a series. We wrote together, it into a TV show. Because I was like, hey, Chloe, 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 put that in, put that in. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be on the wall. It's going to be on the wall. This one. <laughs> yeah. So what's extraordinary about this painting is that Judith is a woman, right? She's this bodily creature. She is not a child. She's not a girl. Caravaggio's very famous Judith Slaying Holofernes shows this little girl who literally like doesn't, it, it looks like she should not even be able to hold up the sword that she's using to cut his head off. Like it looks like Mm. it's physically impossible for her. And she's just this like frail little thing who doesn't want to do, but it's doing it. Whereas this Judith is leaning in. I'm not sure that we've explained the the story of this one. Okay. Judith. Yeah. Judith was a widow. (laughs) We're back in the mm. we're back in the biblical terms. Mm-hmm. There was a war with the Assyrian army. They're the they're Jews. She's a Jew. We love it. Me too, Judith. Me too. Um, the Assyrian army was led by Holofernes, and she is really smart and really pretty. So she's like, I'm gonna go ahead and save all my people. So what she does is she tries to seduce him. It kind of works. And then she and her maid servant, who she brings with her, um, cut his head off while he's in bed, like thinking he's going to sleep with her. She puts it in a knapsack and then goes back home and it saved her people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty And great. this painting is them cutting his head in off. In the act. And so and different, different painters have painted this exact scenario. And when you put them all next to each other, you can see... Who was a woman? <laughs> who painted it? <laughs> yeah, who was a woman? And like each painter's opinion on the story through how they depict it. What's really interesting is if you look closely, Judith is wearing a bracelet. And that bracelet actually has a depiction of Artemis. Artemis mm. is the goddess of chastity, chastity and virginity. And when someone threatens that, she usually kills them in various how tales. ironic. So it's, to me, an enduring image, a powerful image, a Mm. depiction of female rage that's pretty early for women and Mm -hmm. pretty extraordinary and kind of emotional. I find when you understand context uh, that within a couple years of her painting this, um, you know, so the trial ends up happening in 1612. She paints her first version of this painting that year. Mm. later in around 1614 which is when she paints this version she ends up adding that bracelet so that bracelet wasn't there in the original version it's there in this one she continues to paint versions of judith in various aspects of killing him and Mm -hmm. or running away with the body i'm sending you another picture right now it's Mm -hmm. of judith and her maidservant carrying his head out in a basket which is hilarious Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's actually based on a painting that her father did. Um, hers is like infinitely better. I'll send you her father's just so you can see how much better hers is. There's so much elegance in this portrait, and then you realize the basket has a head in it. Yeah. Oh wait, shoot. I didn't. Hold on. Let me send you. If you scroll down in what I sent you, there's another painting of it. It's by her dad. And it's like, hers is so much better. <laughs> I see. What I yeah. love is like, Judith is holding the sword over her shoulder, just like, yeah. Like, I just did that. The maidservant holds the head. Their clothes are beautiful. They look good, but they look tired. They look a little weary. Mm-hmm. But like a job well done, you know? But also like, mm-hmm. watching out for each other. And themselves. So around this time in her personal life, um, around a month after the trial ends, uh, Orazio, Orazio uh, finds a husband for her. His name is Pier Antonio Stiatesi. He's an artist in Florence. He's not that important. We don't really care about him and whatever. But she ends up moving to Florence and that becomes massacre because she enjoys the patronage, patronage of the Medici. And we will talk about them one day because they got some ladies in there. Mm-hmm. They got some ladies in that family. But the Medici are very famous. If you haven't heard of them, they were the banker family that basically ended up ruling like a bit of Europe for a long time. And their cultivation of art and culture was one of the main instigators of and supporters of the Renaissance in Italy, mm-hmm. specifically, mm-hmm. but other places. She's the very first woman who's accepted into the Academia della Arte del Disegno, which is the Academy uh, yeah. of the Drawing. And she ends up becoming like... like she just is like very famous um she's friends with galileo (laughs) sure sure um they write to each other (laughs) she actually was most likely illiterate until she moved to florence but she learns to read and write and becomes really um passionate about like she's a great letter writer and for the record her handwriting's impeccable well she's an artist uh, that makes sense I know. I just like get really jealous because you know how bad mine is. Anyway, um, we've all tried to read it. Doesn't work, does it? So everything's fine. So she ends up painting. What I love is like she's always painting women in these like epic clothes. And something else that I love about her is that if you look a little closely into the two paintings I've sent you already, I can send you a couple others, and you'll say, "Wait, the woman looks kind of familiar." And that's because it's most likely her face. Ooh. So she seemed to that's paint cool. with a lot of inspiration and was really well known for basically painting with a mirror, which is something that's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just, she's just really cool. Um, so she is painting and getting commissions for a lot of these people. One of the paintings is called The Allegory of Inclination, which I kind of love. Um, not mm-hmm. kind of, I really love this painting. It's really beautiful. It was in the Casa Buonarroti, which is Michelangelo's great nephews at the time. Wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So Michelangelo the Younger, effectively, his his uncle, great uncle was the famous Michelangelo. And he commissions her. She's the only woman commissioned for this entire series. And it hers is so good. I'm sending it to you. You're welcome. Um, it's a beautiful painting. And what it is, is it's effectively the moment of, of inspiration that comes from someone being naturally creative. So mm. it's, yeah, it's meant to be like very uh, evocative of creativity. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful painting. Um, there's basically, so she's like, what she's holding is a compass. So it's like kind of, you know, pointing a certain direction. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. A little star. I love this painting. I think it's really great. Yeah, the star. Um, according to records, she was paid three times more than any other artist. That like, which, who were all that, that at the time? No, who painted that exact ceiling. In that gallery oh. at the Michelangelo estate, she was painted three times, Ooh. paid three times more. Because uh, she's a high value lass. That's right. So <laughs> I think, yeah, so she ends up, she and her husband have five kids. They're born between 1613 and 1618. And these mm. are some of the years of her greatest productivity, which is like absolutely wild. Um, unfortunately, Three of her children died in infancy, and her son, who was born in 1615, died when he was four years old. The only person who lived to adulthood was Prudencia, which was her daughter, who was born in 1617, who was named after her mom. Hmm. And we'll see it later depicted in um, a version of the birth of St. John the Baptist. She paints this really very accurate scene of what it... A birthing room, which is something that men obviously would not have been privy to. They would not have been privy to. I don't know if it's obvious. They wouldn't have been privy to. The midwives would have been there delivering and helping. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a job for women. Uh, men were not supposed to be there. The woman who was giving birth was seen as unclean. Um, and, <laughs> you know. So what's interesting, though, is that you it's this great very intimate portrait of a birthing room and of course it's depicting saint john the baptist's birth which is like whatever but um mm-hmm. saint john the baptist is a fascinating dude um i always say you can always tell when a painting is of john the baptist when it looks like he is a caveman like they paint him in a hair shirt which looks like he's wearing like animal skins a that's a hair how shirt yeah so oh, the, a hair shirt was something that was done for catholics to be it was a form of self-flagellation, what? self-torture to increase your piety. Oh, Chloe, we can get into it, but we won't. Uh, no, I don't want to. Oh, <laughs> I'm good on the I self-flagellation kind of do, for today. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, uh, <laughs> so one thing I want to say is for all the paintings and all the things that we have of her, there's something mm-hmm. that I think is important to remember. And it's that if for me, I want us to remember that obviously her assault, her rape was a significant moment in her life. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to downplay that. And what we can read into her art is obviously up to the beholder. That's kind of the whole point of art to a degree is what we interpret it. 
Right. But I, I do want to say it wasn't defining of her entire life. I think it has become the only thing that people know about her is that she was raped and then painted an incredible depiction of female rage, which frankly, not a bad thing to know about someone. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but it, to me, it diminishes her reputation and it, yeah. it degradates her down to what a man did to her and what it caused her to do, which I hate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is a woman is forever changed, right, by the action of a man. Her body is different. She is different. Emotionally, she is seen differently, all because mm -hmm. of what a man did to her. Right. Um, didn't matter. It wasn't consensual. That's all different. And so for all intents and purposes, after this trial, um, she continues on in her life. And that's not to say she doesn't suffer and that we can't understand where some of her emotional oove is coming from. But I do think mm -hmm. it's important to remember for all people. And as you know, a survivor of assault myself, like mm -hmm. it's something that is significant, but I would never call it defining because that would make me really want to punch you all. No, I don't. I agree with you. And I think that's important to remember because historiography historiography as i have talked about before my favorite thing it's the study of the study of history mm -hmm. historiographically people have tended to understand artemisia only in terms of that trial and she lived until she was i can't do math 63 mm -hmm. she was 17 and 18 when that happened i think it's right. a disservice to her to only include something that defines her by the actions of a man so, mm -hmm. love that. Well, thank you. It's also just like it's not the only. Thing no, it's yeah. No, it's infuriating. I mean, she lived many years, and I'm sure accomplished many other things. <laughs> she did so many cool things, and they're yeah, like, absolutely. You can see here, she's still mad, and maybe she is still mad. But I think it's unfair to her to only attribute it to that, and instead of any other aspect of her life or experience or just her interpretation of that story. Like she could have had a million other bad experiences. <laughs> you don't know what else has happened to her. She has to work well, around also, a lot of dumb men. Also the loss of all her children seems to yeah. to me. I mean, that's Jesus Christ. That's deeply traumatic as well. Yeah. You lose four out of five kids. Yeah. Four out of five. That's awful. So awful. Yeah. This poor woman. Well, hold up. A little moment of lightness. Okay. Around 1616, okay. which is a couple of years after she's married. Mm -hmm. And this, I need you to know this. This was only discovered in 2011. This is brand new historical really? research. When people go on and on about, well, what more can you possibly glean? Everything. You can glean everything because everything's new. We haven't discovered everything. What, what was discovered? Francesco Salinas a historian, discovered a collection of 36 letters that span the course of four <gasps> years. And guess what they said? Guess what they did? Guess what they were? They were letters between Artemisia mm -hmm. and a Florentine nobleman named Francesco Maria Meringhi. Mm -hmm. And it was a passionate love affair. Yeah. So she's having this <laughs> unbelievable affair. Um, and this like just like epic life with this guy. I, I, I kind of, I love it. And he's this like, he's technically a lot higher ranking than her, but like, she doesn't care. This happens not too long after her marriage. 
And she is I'm just like obsessed with the fact that we just found this out. So the the book by or the article by Elizabeth Cohen that I love is very mm-hmm. interesting because it 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 is talking about again, corporeal essentialism, the idea of your body as being an essential part of your soul. They had a very different idea. Basically the soul and the body were not the same. They were completely separate. Right. And therefore any sexualization of her seemed wrong, right? It seemed in violation of what happened to her, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, as has happened with many women, it, it isn't, again, a defining feature of her life. It is something else. She ends up, they they have this affair. Someone called it torrid, which I kind of love. And they, she calls him, okay, this is going to get a little dirty. Sorry. Okay. So she calls him my dearest heart. And in a letter, she refers to a self-portrait of her in his possession and tells him not to masturbate in front of it. And then she says that she's happy he's not taken any other lovers other than his right hand, envied by me so much for it possesses that which I cannot possess myself. Hilarious. Unreal. And at the same time, (laughs) she paints something called, it's a painting that's uh, Mary Magdalene and Ecstasy. So ecstasy paintings, let's talk about them. They're depictions Mm -hmm. of divine inspiration and godly interactions but i don't know about you i'm sending it to you it looks a little interesting to me and what i love is that it is an unapologetic depiction of female pleasure so at the same time that we have this woman depicting an an exceptional yet unexceptional version of female rage She's Mm -hmm. also obviously capable of many other things. And so here's Mary Magdalene, who's normally like very contemplative, whatever, and receiving the ecstasy from God. Instead, Mm -hmm. she's like luxuriating in it. It's this like really fantastic portrait. Um, And it's the, there's a New Yorker article. I wrote it down. I loved it. They described the painting as less spiritual than erotic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. And (laughs) yeah, it's just great. It's a great painting. And interestingly enough, her husband knew about the affair and was actually fully fine with it because he's really well-placed. This guy was a nobleman. Mm -hmm. He ends up writing a letter to Meringi saying like, sorry that Artemisia can't write to him. Um, Their house is full of cardinals and princes and she's so busy she barely has time to eat. So he's writing to the lover saying like, sorry, she'll get back to you soon. <laughs> okay, great. I'm, I'm yeah. glad she had some of this at least. <laughs> yeah. So she, what's really interesting is in the 1630s, she actually travels to England. Um, her father had become a court painter there hmm. and she ends up while they're painting self-portrait as the allegory of painting, which is a very famous portrait, which we will include. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think what's really lovely is it's it's not a self-portrait in the way that like a lot of men like to paint themselves, like face first, head on, like staring at you, like I'm a man, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's not that. It's her self-portrait as 
a painter. And it's been interpreted more lately as allegory of painting, like the, the uh, kind of metaphorical depiction of, of the art form. And it's mm-hmm. an incredibly interesting painting. It, she's faced perpendicularly with, I sent it to you, by the way, Chloe. She's faced perpendicularly to the, the frame, if you will. And she's clearly looking out at a subject that she's going to be painting. And the biggest Mm -hmm. part of the painting is a blank canvas that she's hovering over, ready to paint. Right. And it's incredible. And it's really beautiful. beautiful. And it's not Mm -hmm. a typical depiction of a self-portrait. Like Albert Durer used to paint himself and he looked like Jesus, which is hilarious. Like, good for him. Oh, that too. Right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like she, and yeah, she paints herself into many things. So she ends up painting herself as St. Catherine of Alexandria. There's a very famous painting of her holding the frond of fond of martyrdom and the broken wheel, which was mm. a depiction of her. She mm. also kind of paints herself obviously into Judith as we were seeing before. And as a lute player, which is very interesting, there is some documentation mm. that supports the fact that maybe she was actually a musician and well-known for it, but there's no official depiction. She paints herself as Lucretia, who was a famous, um, this is a Roman parable. Um, during the, uh, hate this uh during uh the um etruscan part of the roman monarchy during the the kind of royal monarchical part of rome livy wrote this because of course he freaking did um she's a virtuous woman she's raped by a roman nobleman sextus tarquinius Hmm. and he threatens her with murder and public humiliation of her corpse if he if she doesn't do it nice because of that, she gives in and she reports the attack to her husband and father and then kills herself. Nice. And in doing so, she retained her honor and virtue. <laughs> we have such great choices. Though, Livy says, <laughs> Livy mm. says that her suicide led to a rebellion that marked the beginning of the Roman Republic. So, good job. It was, it was powerful and meaningful. I guess so. Yeah, I just, all, all these options seem, uh, frankly, terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's interesting is in the 1620 um, portrait of Lucrezia that I think mm-hmm. looks a heck of a lot like her. I'm sending it to mm-hmm. you. You mm-hmm. can see that she doesn't want to do it. It's the moment right before um, she ends her own life. And she's holding her breast up out of the way and is holding a knife and she's stealing herself to do it. But there's clearly, to me at least, you can see that she's not sure. Um, she's not. She doesn't look like she's at peace with the decision, that's for No, sure. she looks really pissed and also really scared. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, she also depicts Mary Magdalene in this really, like, again, like, there's the Mary Magdalene in ecstasy, but a couple years before then she's painting... Mary Magdalene in this like gorgeous golden dress. Mary Magdalene's like always in gold or yellow, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mary's always in blue, um, things like that. And so she obviously has quite a range. She pick, depicts Lot and his daughters. Remember, you ever hear the story of Lot? It's pretty gross. I think so. Yeah. So basically, shit goes down. Lot's daughters decide to seduce him and get, become impregnated by him. Thanks, Bible. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. She depicts it, though. 
So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so curious about certain choices for her. She does a painting of Esther, um, like Queen Esther, who's always one of my favorite heroines in the Torah. Big fan of Queen Esther. Also, Purim is like the best holiday. It's like Jewish Halloween. It's great. Um, that is uh, the Amentashen. Yes. Holiday, if I'm not wrong. You are right. And those are little biscuits with jelly. And why? What are they meant to depict? I don't know. I don't. They're know. meant to depict the ear <laughs> of Haman. Sure. The guy who tried to betray all the Jews and kill them all. It's an ear, or it's a delicious cookie. You decide. You decide. Um, <laughs> some said. I think when I was really young, they're like, "Oh, it's like his hat." But someone's like, "No, they were just telling you that because you were little." Um, I guess it's tough conceptually for a child uh to eat an ear but then again in other religions you eat the body of christ at church so same religion of of body parts cannibalism is integral to christianity debate me i will win did you know (laughs) start a fight in the comments (laughs) happily i'm come at me i don't care um did you know that the phrase hocus pocus comes Mm. from protestant propaganda against catholics so during the reformation this is in england um sorry this is a fun story um during the reformation in england they're all they're like using a lot of propaganda against each other right like they're attacking each other about like certain things they believe in and one of the things Mm -hmm. that they thought was funny or interesting or blasphemous was the the transubstantiation of the wafer into the body of christ the transubstantiation is the power of a catholic priest to transform that wafer into the literal body of christ and the wine into the literal blood of christ mm-hmm. it's called transubstantiation that's a big debate for the protestants mm-hmm. and the catholics as they're all trying not to kill each other and then kill each other it's still debated but during the the mass when a priest is blessing the wafer to to begin that process he says hoc est corpum corpus meum here is my body mm-hmm. which ends up becoming if I say hoc est corpus meum, hocus right. pocus. Right, 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 right. right so right. that's where it comes from. Isn't that funny? Isn't that great? It's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that one's fun. <laughs> you might win Jeopardy because of me. You don't know. Also, I, I was taught that. Like, I didn't discover In it. advance? Anyway. Thank you. Yeah. I'm For the Jeopardy win, of course. But also, like, it's just a fun fact. Love a fun fact. I I... I live for fun facts. They're my favorite. So That's what we're here for. Okay. So throughout her adult life, Artemisia is kind of working in and around Florence, but then she actually lives for a substantial amount of time in Naples, which is really interesting. Um, she seems to have been invited by the Duke of Alcala, who had three of her paintings, because of course she's awesome. And there were a mm-hmm. lot of other painters who stayed in Naples. It was kind of a, a pretty good art workshop experience so she pretty much stayed in naples for the rest of her life except for that time she went to london and came back Mm -hmm. so her daughter by all accounts is also a painter um we don't really know what ends up happening to her unfortunately but Mm. we do see um she starts working on paintings in cathedrals um she paints some really unusual depictions of very usual subjects right so one example, she paints Cleopatra. 
someone we've talked about before. And mm-hmm. she has two different depictions of Cleopatra. One is after she has successfully killed herself with the asp. Mm-hmm. And one is as it's happening. And what's interesting is the Cleopatra is like, she's wild. She's like fully laid out, quite a nude, um, and like kind of sprawled out. The same nude figure is actually used to depict Danai, who was the um, unfortunate woman by whom Zeus blessed with a golden shower. And I mean, Mm. literally, there was a shower of gold, but... Let's all mm-hmm. be real. Where did that phrase come from? What is it actually referring to? You decide. We know. We know. We know. We know. <laughs> so it's it's the same kind of reclining figure. Mm-hmm. So she reuses things, which I love because she's like, yeah, that was good. I'm going to use that form again. But in doing so, she kind of, um, she's always doing something a little different. So even if she repaints a similar scene, she's adding to it. She's reinterpreting it, which I love. So there's Mm -hmm. the penitent Magdalene that she paints multiple times. And she's always in a slightly different phrase, you know, kind of uh, pose and and emotion. Then there's Judith and her maidservant. Either she's mid-decapitation or after or right before they leave Mm -hmm. the tent while it's still (laughs) happening. Like Mm -hmm. there's all these different parts of it, which I love. Then Cleopatra, right, with the two different versions. And there's also David and Bathsheba. Um, so she has Bathsheba in multiple forms. She's bathing, um, in different areas as well. And again, later in her life, she returns to Susanna and the elders. And it's a very, it's a different Susanna and the elders, but I think it, it retains elements of its original, but has a maturity to it that I think is really interesting. Mm. And so she ends up in Naples and she's, painting and doing a lot of really incredible work and her father dies in 1639 and it seems that by 1642 when the civil war in England is beginning um she sees the light and leaves because Charles the first is her patron um and we don't really know a lot about the intervening seven years but by 1649, she's back in Naples and she's with Antonio Ruffo of Sicily, who's like her, her major patron and semi-mentor. And it seems like she's just doing commissions and kind of following similar lines. She's been able to support herself in quite an amazing manner. It seems like her husband may have just kind of like wandered off at some point, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem to affect much of her life that much and he was also kind of a a wet blanket so that's fine um it seems like around 1656 the plague sweeps through naples and unfortunately she passes away that's it's not quite plague she gets the plague a whole generation of neapolitan people get the plague and die like it's pretty bad no that's awful Killed up to 1,250,000 people. Jeez. Wow. I was like, how do we... What's the percentage? Of humans? (laughs) Of, like, people... I'm trying to... Oh, that's a pretty dark painting. Here, I'm going to send it to you. 
This is a not her painting, but it's a painting of Naples in 1656, which is the year that she died. Hmm. Approximately the year that she died. Um, oh, that's a very nice hellscape. It's one of the deadliest epidemics in history. It probably killed at least half of the population. At least. Wow. In Genoa, about 60% of the population died. It was pretty bad. Pretty bad plague. Mm. One of the worst. Painting's really like hard. It. Yeah, it's, painting's pretty, uh, pretty rough. Okay. So. so, where does that leave her? After her death, she kind of disappears, right? Like, it, it just kind of seems like she kind of floats away uh, into the ether of history. But thankfully, in the early 20th century, she starts coming back. And in 1916, an Italian critic, Roberta Longhi, describes her as the only woman in Italy who ever knew about painting, coloring, drawing, and other fundamentals, which is, Mm -hmm. frankly, sexist, but also, like, she's awesome. Um, He writes... um, Another person's like, if I didn't, if it wasn't signed by her, I would not have been like, whoa, it was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ends up as, like I said, the feminist movement is becoming more and more powerful. She ends up becoming a kind of ideal of the feminist artistic movement. And it's because we see, again, we have a lot of this kind of repressed, revenge theory of art um saying that she is kind of moving forward in her art form with that rage that inherent rage in her um i think it's a bit reductive to say that that's the only thing she did um Mm -hmm. again i don't want to frame like we weren't there we don't know her we can't know what she was thinking when she was painting But I think what we do know is that she chose to depict women as they were. And I think that's incredible. They are women who have bodies that look real. Um, If you notice in a lot of other paintings, you know, you see paintings by men and you go, wow, that's beautiful. And you don't think about like individual aspects of it. But then you Mm -hmm. see a painting by Artemisia and it's like, wow, her boobs hang down like women's do. And then you see, you go back to the one of the man and they're just like perky in a way that I'm like, that's not real. That's not real, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this, it's a powerful thing, representation, isn't it? And I think I thoroughly enjoy um, viewing her art. It's incredibly powerful to see it in person if you're able to mm-hmm. try and do it if you can. And if not, look her up. I think there was an exhibit at the National Gallery in England, um, in London, of her work. And I think they digitized it. So you should be able to see like a pretty incredible kind of, they pretty much have like most of her artwork there, which is wild. And yeah, so she was this businesswoman. She ran her own life and business and ended up supporting herself and her, her daughter. Um, she overcame Mm -hmm. a lot in her life, like many women, but she continued to produce art in quite a capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love seeing, you know, like 
I just love seeing a picture of a woman who's, who's doing her best and is kind of killing it. Not kind of, she's killing it. Like she's she an artist. The badass title. Yeah. And she sets out, I believe mm. to become an artist. It's clear that she wants a career as an artist, which is not something that women did or were able mm-hmm. to consider easily. But what I like mm-hmm. is that she was like, yeah, I want it. And she did. She accomplished that. And I think that's, that's not something to tip your nose up at. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Pretty incredible. The fact that she had, you know, a, a father who was an artist and the fact that she was recognized as an actual talent from a young age. Mm-hmm. Love. Love. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Artemisia. Our Instagram is going to be full of paintings. Just so many I know. paintings. I know. It's going to be great. It's going to be really it's good. It's going to be beautiful. There's going to be Turn a lot. Turn it into just, just a headings. solely painting account. <laughs> Honestly, though, her. <laughs> it's like, ladies and gentlemen, her. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a TikTok reference from Laura. I know. Oh, the day has finally come. <laughs> I feel so settled and at peace. <laughs> oh, I'm happy. I'm happy for um, you. Well, thank you for sharing. Thanks. Thank you for letting us know about this badass. I feel inspired by her rage. Right? <laughs> what do you uh, want to go do? Go paint something, Chloe. No, I really would still like to go to a break room. The, the oh. room where you smash stuff. Yeah. Or would you still throw or do you just want to smash things? No, God, no. I really just want to smash things. Okay, I get it. I, I feel like axe throwing involves a level of skill that I'm not trying to have. I really just want nice to just smash. Throw. I get it, though. I know. I listen. Do you, you know, don't like want to be bam, careful. bam. You don't want to be precise. Yes, you want to be. Oh, my gosh. I want to be bam, how- bam. I want to want walk to in with a little hammer and just like smash things. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam. <laughs> God, that was a great show. Like in a delicate little lady way. No, I want like a delicate a little lady with extreme. What would Artemisia say? Would, do you want the Car- <laughs> do you want the Caravaggio version of rage, or do you want the Artemisia version? I want the real Artemisia. one. Get in there. Get in there. I know. I'm kidding. She's not shying away from the spurting blood. <laughs> She's in it. She's leaning in. Like it's great. Oh well, I guess that's the uh, conclusion for today. Everybody, lean, lean in, in, ladies. Lean yes. in. <laughs> lean into your rage everybody and we'll see you next month (laughs) thanks for listening (laughs) goodbye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 